I'm Alex Melleris. And I'm Tai Fu. And we're going to start by talking about a tremendous victory in the sports world, which is, of course, me beating you in the poll oh, um, on Best 12 Days of Christmas. It was not a close result. Oh, it wasn't? I received, I received 80% of the vote. Yikes! That's which tough. might be the highest percentage ever in one of these things. Rough luck. Um, you did mention to me after we did it, that in hindsight, it didn't really pass the smell test of, oh, you got the first overall pick and you win immediately. And I kind of, I get what you're saying, because like, you know, Christmas Day is the big one. But I also said to you, you really butchered things by taking New Year's Day instead of New Year's Eve. And you also butchered it by not even trying to say Christmas isn't as good as many say. Right. Yeah. There were, there were many mishaps on that one. I have myself to blame uh, for, you know, coming up with a topic in the first place letting it pass all these uh, tests and then uh, subsequently botching it. And clearly the voters have uh, punished me. What was it, four to one? Or was it even worse than that? It was like eight to oh, two. Oh, like actual number of yeah. votes was eight to two. Eight and to one, two. Of the, one of the two for you was, was, for you, was I, you. I was I was indeed 50% of my demographics. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rough luck. Rough luck for sure. You know, definitely going to come back. Uh, yeah. Well, next draft, I'll be ready. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll come up with a more appropriate topic. And I'll have the first pick. So, you know, looking forward. Moving forward already from this train wreck. Okay. All right. Let's talk about Stanley Cup final now, which is done. Colorado is the winner. Very, very well deserved. I find normally when recapping a Stanley Cup final, it feels like there's not a lot to say because it's like, oh, yeah, this team is great. And so they won. Congratulations. There, I feel like there's some juice to this one, though. There's a lot of content uh and some of it is you know actual hockey related and some of it is more you know fun side things um and the actual first thing i have listed here is that the real loser of the stanley cup final was tyson jost i don't know if you saw this <laughs> no it didn't was, but other than immediately, he was traded. what happened well he was traded yeah. in the middle of the year and then they won without him um but immediately after the finals he deactivated his, his instagram oh. i was like <laughs> like could it really be that bad like players get traded away to teams that win all the time but like what did he think people were gonna like troll him i don't know but i mean you know you gotta feel for for tyson joe's who gets traded away from the juggernaut and it's like turns out the missing piece all along was you not being here <laughs> yeah i wouldn't say it was uh nico's term um but oof, that's that's a that's a tough time my heart goes out to Tyson Joe. Um, yeah, so yeah, if we're talking about other players that uh, you know were actually in the you know played in the series, um, who where can we start? We can start with the other deadline acquisition that's gonna happen for Colorado. Uh, Arturi Lekkinen, you know, former Hab, looks great. He looked fantastic. He fits so seamlessly within that lineup, uh, and obviously, you know, scored that cup-winning goal. But he was just uh, just a great look all around. And I feel like, you know, he had a great season with Montreal. Uh, and, you know, everybody was kind of buzzing about him at the trade deadline. But I feel like, you know, with a better, with a, frankly, more talent around him, uh, he even took up took it up another notch. And, uh, you know, people were kind of talking about him. But it feels like he took a, you know, a, a national step. You know, like he's much more recognizable now uh, as a member of the Colorado Avalanche, even after like a third of a season. Yeah, yeah, I agree for sure. Um, not just like no, the production took a big boost. The fact that he's a Stanley Cup champion, and also, uh, he's got a 
really kind of crazy now track record of series winning goals. When you look at last year with Montreal against Vegas uh, in the, I guess it technically wasn't conference finals, round three. This year, he scored the winning goal against Edmonton to send Colorado to the finals. And then the Stanley Cup winning goal, which at the time it was scored, I was like, that could, you know, be the Stanley Cup winning goal if no other goals were scored. And uh, and I was right. And if it was anyone but Lekin and who scored that, my mind probably wouldn't have gone there immediately. Um, but yeah, you know, you got you love a clutch player. And he's an RFA now, qualifying offer, I think, around two and a half. Um, I do think Joe Sackick is probably too smart to be like, you're clutching the playoffs, take $5 million, slight exaggeration. Um, but I do see him getting around like the a $3 million AAV or so, which I think, you know, based on based on straight up how good he is, I think is fair. Man, I think three is a bargain. For a guy who like drives play like he does, like if you look at his, you know, three and a half. I think four, four and a half. I think it's fine. I think it's that's 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 high. That's high. I he's think, like a I good third liner. He's like, oh come on, a good third liner. I think that's uh, he's, he's a good third liner. He's, oh come on, I think he works as a second liner. And if you if you're paying four and a half million dollars for a good second liner, I think that's fine. I think you know the way he just drove play on the Habs team, uh, where he was like by and by the 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 best forward, uh, this year, um, in terms of you know on ice results, and you look at the you know, expected goals for and whatnot. Uh, he was just that much better. He was just a step above everybody. So, you know, I think he's proven he can uh, top six forward. I say yes, absolutely. Uh, five is, you know, wow. much. But, you know, four, four and a half, I have no issues. I think he has the track record uh, of solid play in that role. That's a surprise. Usually you're the one to be like, you know, extra careful and dishing out cash to players. Yeah, well. But I guess not in this. I guess you have a soft spot for Lekkonen. I guess so. It's not my money, too. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I buy it. Uh, if we're looking at other uh, somewhat new Colorado Avalanche, we can go to a, a side piece. Someone who didn't contribute as much. But it's funny that he won the cup anyways. Uh, Jack Johnson. He of oh God, no, really? great notoriety. We even yes. said Kel McCarr's name yet. I know. This is, this, yet this, this is the third biggest name item um uh, of this entire Stanley Cup playoffs. Jones <laughs> hasn't played in like a month and a half. Arturi Lekkonen and now Jack Johnson. You know, maybe we could have charted this path a bit better. But you know what? No, I would argue this is better. Because who's starting we're off building. with Jack Johnson? We're building up. We're building up. And uh, we're going places where people don't usually, you know? Um, who, who starts as the third line item? Jack Johnson. Because it's great. It's great. You know, he couldn't, he finally found a team that he couldn't drag down uh, and single-handedly, you know, make, you know, ruin their series. Uh, he tried. You know, he had some questionable plays for sure. Some dumb penalties, as Jack Johnson does uh, with his level of talent. Uh, and, but still, he's a Stanley Cup champion. And uh, we talked about how he had never won a series prior to this, uh, to, prior to this year. But, uh, you know, apparently once he wins once, uh, he just can't get enough of it, is the narrative I'm going to go with. <laughs> he just won four straight. So, uh, attaboy, Jack. Uh, really shorten up that third pairing there. Uh, you, you deserve this one. I, I remember at the start of the year, we were talking, because he was on a PTO with Colorado. We were like, oh, come on, Colorado. You know, you lost a couple of players in the offseason. You had to trade Ryan Graves. You lost Jonas Donskoy. Please don't tell me you're, you know, ruining your good team with Jack Johnston and Darren Helm. Uh, and turns out the team was good enough to begin with that those additions didn't hurt. 
very much or enough to, you know, stop them from winning the Stanley Cup. Um, but of course, this means Jack Johnson is getting another deal somewhere and he's going to get a raise and is going to stick around for several more seasons. So I call that a big W. Yeah, that's a massive W. That's a net positive, you know? Uh, that's just absolutely fantastic. We love to see this guy stick around. Uh, and yeah, maybe he won't even have to go through a PTO next season. He'll just get, he'll be a July 1st kind of guy uh, or July 1st equivalent this year. Um, so yeah, that's that's that bit. He It really just adds a, a new layer of complexity to the Jack Johnson lore that he has now won a Stanley Cup while actively being this bad and old with like, you know, third pairing minutes. It's pretty good. It's pretty, it's one thing if you like, oh, he won at like 23 and he was like, you know, I don't know, second pair guy. But no, he's like, you know, everybody knows he's shit. He's like 35 years old and he still did it. So, you know what? I think that's even more of an achievement. Um, yeah, to be to be clear, as the series progressed, he did get less and less ice time. And I think in game <laughs> six, he played like eight minutes and something seconds. So third pairing minutes even is a bit of a stretch. He was playing, you know, low end number six minutes. Oh, well. Minutes are minutes. He was on the ice and not in the press box. And that's what I that's, I call that a W for our guy, Jack Johnson. Wow. Okay. Great stuff. Next. Yeah. If I may. Go ahead. Uh, next, I think you owe an apology to Darcy Kemper for doubting him. No, I don't. Because No, I don't. Yeah, you totally I'm not do. giving him an apology. But go ahead. Do it. Do it. Dar- Darcy <laughs> Kemper, when, the, when it really you know got down to business, uh, he was great. In game six, well, I guess, you know, Colorado didn't really make him work that hard. But exactly. He was exactly as good as he had to be. He didn't blow it for them. He was solid. And he was worth the first-round pick in Connor Timmins, especially considering the Oilers were the ones they outbid and the Oilers are the ones they had to beat on the way here. So that's, you know, Joe Sackick picking the right spot to step up the, to the plate, make a big swing, and he gets rewarded. In no way. And no, I I do not owe an apology. I refuse to give it um, because (laughs) (laughs) they could have beat the Oilers, all right, with Pavel Francouz, all right? They could have beat him with even if Pavel Francouz was blindfolded. The Oilers would have had Kemper, though. Even then. I I, Well, look at how he did this fucking, uh, this playoffs. He had the worst gold saved above uh, expected than any other goalie in the playoffs this year. That is Darcy Kemper. Our guy. Really? Yeah. Because, well, partly because he played so much, um, but he just kept, you know, putting in bad start after bad. I think he had like, you know, only a handful of quality starts. And yet he started, what, the better parts of three rounds, two and a half rounds. Uh, so, you know, uh, no, I don't owe shit to the guy. I think, you know, it's great. It worked out in the sense that everything that Joe Sackick has done up until this point is given a rubber stamp, you know, is given a stamp of approval because he did it. He won a cup. But I would argue if he hadn't given up those assets for Darcy Kemper, they'd be fine. They'd be fine. All right. Uh, and they got by the blues with Pavel Franzos, and that was really the only time they lost games uh, other than this series. And Kemper wasn't particularly good this series. You look at game five, you know, if they had lost the series, you would have blamed it on Kemper. Uh, you look at his game five, five performance, you know, that sh- fucking Jan Ruda coming in from like, I don't know, halfway across the offensive zone from the, from the boards. Uh, gives up that goal, you know, that Palat goal. Uh, went right through his five hole. Even the goal that he gave up to Stamkos to start game six. Dog shit. What the hell is he doing? What the hell is he doing on that goal? He's like fucking swimming. All right. He's not in position. He's like on all fours. Very confusing. Uh, and, you know, not can't take away the nice saves. He made some nice saves in game six. Uh, for sure. For sure. 
But am I going to sit here and, you know, pretend that he matched Vasilevsky or was on his level? No, absolutely not. Vasilevsky was far and away the better goalie in this series. Uh, and Kemper is lucky he was not a liability, all right? He was just barely above that level of liability uh, where he could have possibly tanked them against a good team like Tampa. Uh, but, you know, th- th- Tampa was too injured. They didn't have, you know, they really couldn't generate enough offense. Colorado, Colorado was just too good. But Kemper was not stealing any games for you. And in fact, you know, you look at game five, he was maybe costing you some. So, uh, no, I- I'm still not sold on Darcy Kemper. Let that be known. His regular season was great. Playoffs, not so much. Speaking of players who are not liabilities, how about Nazem Kadri? Oh, oh! I thought you were gonna laugh. Did you see his quote from after the game? Oh yeah, yeah. It was a kiss my ass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't make yeah, the connection. Everyone who said I was a liability in the playoffs. Yeah. So uh, I mean, you know, to be fair, he was absolutely not a liability this year. Uh, last year, if he hadn't gotten suspended, they might have won the Stanley Cup. But anyway, uh, they won it this year, and he was key. He scored, you know, a goal in his comeback. He had a hat trick in round two. Awesome playoff from him. Uh, it, along with Kemper, also pending UFA, along with Valerie Nachushkin, Andre Burakovsky, they've got a lot of players walking. But that's a conversation for another day. Um, Kadri was maybe like the most fun player to watch lift the cup after, you know, all the Toronto drama, uh, everything, all the suspensions. It's like, yes, I did it. That was a big one. Same, same kind. Of, maybe it's a Toronto thing because I felt the same way. Kind of watching Phil Kessel lift it. It's like how, uh, you know, poster failure child on the Maple Leafs gets traded away and then wins. Yeah, like that trade is awful in hindsight. Uh, what was it like? You know, they got they, it was Kadri, Callie Rosen, and a third. third yeah. I think. Yeah, and for for, for and Tyson Berry, Kerfoot, and a sixth. Woof! Nasty, just nasty. Um, but. Yeah, Kadri was good for the least of the time. I really did. I was like, Barry's a good fit. Not so much anymore. Not so much in hindsight. Um, but yeah, no, Kadri for sure. While I was watching, I was like, yeah, this this is the number one player, most likable, and uh, the best moment in terms of uh, lifting the cup. And yeah, he scored the fucking overtime winner in game four. First game back. That's crazy. That's insane. Great moment. Uh, with like a fucking broken, jankety-ass broken thumb. So, you know. Just, uh, just, just quality vibes. Just quality, quality vibes. My favorite player on the Avalanche out of this series. It was just, you know, very likable dude. So good for him. And obviously that quote uh, at the end to kind of cap it off, uh, because uh, yeah, he has had a lot of haters, and uh, he had a fucking great season. And he's about to get paid. Um, hmm. All right. Let's let's just keep going down the line. For for you know, let's celebrate the Avalanche, I guess. Uh, where do we go now? We can go to the Conn Smythe winner, uh, Kale McCarr, who, uh, yeah, you know, it was just kind of his breakout playoffs where, like, now everybody's talking about him uh, as potentially, you know, one of the best players in the NHL. You put him in that tier one, you know, uh, because he's just that good at both ends of the ice, so silky smooth, so much offensive generation, uh, and, yeah, just just sustained it all season, in the reg- just all season, playoffs, regular season. Uh, he did it all. And so, you know, this guy's just hitting his prime. He's like 23 years old. Crazy. Yeah. Um, You might be my favorite player in the NHL right now. There's nothing, you know, when Eric Carlson was in his prime, I might have gone for him. There's nothing like, you know, in out-of-this-world offensive defenseman. Actually, because I, I wasn't, you know, when the, they started announcing, or Bill Daly was like, with 29 points in 20 games, my mind went like, 
oh, did McKinnon win? Because I didn't realize McCarr had that many points. Uh, like nearly ha- uh, one and a half points a game as a defenseman in the playoffs. And he is the first player to win the Hobie Baker, Calder Trophy, Norris Trophy, Conn Smythe, and Stanley Cup in his career. And he's only 23 years old. That- <laughs> How crazy is that? That's insane. Nah, that's insane. Just watching him is crazy. I mean, like th- those zone entries that he does, um, it's just they're so smooth. It's like nobody can touch him. Uh, and he just like single-handedly creates all these offensive opportunities. Uh, and, you know, off the cycle, you know, obviously as the quarterback power play, he's just he's just so electrifying. You know, whenever he has the puck, uh, kind of like, you know, definitely reminds you of McDavid in that sense, where you know, where, you know, you know when he's touching the puck. Uh, and he always does uh, some good shit with it. So, yeah, no, it's, it's you, you, he just, he stands out so far up and above, uh, you know, kind of everybody else, especially at his position, but just on the ice in general. Um, it's just really, really fun to watch for sure. I, I wish in some ways we had this podcast back in 2017, because I would have been talking about how I think Kel McCarr should be in the conversation for first overall with Nico Hischer and Nolan Patrick. And I would have been correct. Yeah, absolutely. Believe me. <laughs> You'd have been vindicated. Believe me, I would have said that. You would have had it on the record. <laughs> yeah, now I don't. Now yeah. I just have vague memories of kind of thinking that. Well, it's okay. You, you, there, there are other, you know, you'll, you'll have other good takes. <laughs> I'm oh, sure thanks. you will. <laughs> 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 All right. Yeah, so uh, anybody else on uh, Colorado that you want to shout yeah. out? Yeah, go for it. We got to think about Nathan McKinnon. How could you forget? How can we, he was really, I know Landeskog was the captain, but it kind of feels like, you know, Nathan McKinnon is the de facto heart and soul of the team. Just the way everyone, everyone talks about him, you know, his chickpea pasta regiment and he like yells at players for eating bagels. That's not true, by the way. But anyway, um, it really does feel like he sets the tone. And, you know, in game six uh, last night, they're up two to one. And the third period, everyone was talking about how it was just an absolute masterpiece of defense. They only give up four shots on goal the entire period to Tampa Bay. And McKinnon, you know, your best forward, superstar player, is on the ice defending the lead late in the game. Um, so even though, you know, Kale McCarr was clearly the well-deserving uh, Smythe winner, I was a little surprised that it was unanimous. All 18 voters had him number one on the ballot um, because I think McKinnon deserved uh, real serious consideration. And it was funny, I found also in his interview right afterward, basically all he could say was, oh, I just love Sidney Crosby so much <laughs> in different ways. He, he was like, I don't know if he, he was like, oh yeah, me and whoever his roommate is, or I don't know if he's, he has a roommate, whatever. Anyway, his room number the night before was 1787. And he was like, oh, it says 87. We're winning. Or apparently he thought it was like a good sign that they're winning. Cause like his room number had 87. And then he was like, oh yeah, I was the drunkest guy at two of Crosby's, uh, Stanley Cup parties back in Nova Scotia, so he better be the drunkest guy of mine. And I love how Sidney Crosby is just at the top of Nathan McKinnon's mind after winning the Stanley Cup for the first time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We love a Sidney Crosby stand. Um, Red free. <laughs> Red free is right. Yeah, it's hilarious. Does he, you know, he he mentions the teammates, but just kind of out of nowhere. Like, he just starts, just starts fucking going off about Sidney Crosby. Uh, so, very funny. Um, but yeah, another, another guy, similar to McCarr in the sense that, you know, he has a very, you know, unique and distinct play style. Uh, and you can kind of see that that raw power. Uh, and when it comes to, you know, leading the team, uh, he really seems kind of unhinged, doesn't he? 
like all the reports that we hear, obviously the chickpea pasta and all that. Uh, but just his vibe is just, you know, seems like a bit of a nut. You know, not not necessarily in a bad sense. Just, you know, just like really obsessed with hockey. And that's fine. Cool. Uh, but yeah, that's the tone is right. Um, because uh, he seems to be all about it. And yeah, with, with superstars like him, um, especially he's like, what, like 29 now? Um, you, you don't you know oh, he's not that old. He's not that old, really. Okay, fair enough. Anyways. He was drafted 2013, so he's like 27. I guess he's close to 29. Close enough. Uh, but yeah, you like to see him. You know, check that box. Players of his players of his caliber. Uh, it's always good to see them lift the cup, whether it's him or like a Landeskog. Uh, they're all you know somewhat up there in age. There's only so many kicks at the can. Uh, and when you know players are that good, they're around for that long. I was like, okay, there's a, there's a degree of satisfaction, you know. Uh, that maybe you don't get when Tampa, you know, wins yet another cup, and you see the same cast, mm-hmm. the same core win. Um, you know, it's nice to see a new core win. It's a good vibes. McKinnon's actually twenty six. He's a September birthday, so he was seventeen when he was drafted. All right, so I was, I was even more off than I initially thought. You'll love to see yeah. it. <laughs> You'll love to see it. Um, so yeah, uh, he was like, um, I I think it was last year in an interview after Colorado lost to Vegas in round two. Um, someone asked the question about like, uh, if you can, I don't know, be proud of how far the team came or whatever. And he basically said like, I've been in the league for nine years and I haven't won shit. And now someone, someone went back to that, that screen grabber, that quote yes, last night and was like, Oh, he's won shit now. And all, oh, there was the Adrian Dater thing. Remember from last year is like, Hey Nate, I know you're a gamer and all that, but <laughs> you maybe just think you were thinking too much and just say, fuck, fuck it, it or whatever. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of course. I One of my favorite tweets I saw from last, someone was like in the post game interview, someone like with tears in his eyes saying, like, Nate, I know you're a gamer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he really did say fuck it for this year, you know? And, and what? No, I think he said, <laughs> Oh, I I think he did the opposite. I think he said we gotta focus extra hard, and that it worked. There we go. He just took the opposite of Adrian Dater's advice. So I, ice cold take by Adrian Dater. Uh, apparently, all they had to do was just run it back, and uh, what do you know? The team was talented. With Jack Johnson, <laughs> Jack Johnson, and Darren Helm. You know, Darren Helm was you know I heard his name enough to like you know he was like oh yeah he contributed. So good for Darren Helm. You know, out of nowhere, like won a cup. What back in like fucking twenty ten or whatever the fuck, and uh, two thousand eight, two thousand eight, yeah, even further back, and now he's back. You'll have to see it. Good shit. That's a, that's a long ass gap, uh, for a guy who I barely Do you think knew he was. Now, ah, why not? He he, he won. Is he? he won in his rookie year. He won this year, and none in between. Do you think that's it? It's kind of perfect, isn't it? Booking. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he could probably play another year as a fourth line gritty guy if he wanted, but I'm sure he could. Nobody would blame him if he left right now. I, I wouldn't be like, Darren Helm, you could have stuck it out for another year. Shame on you. No, I don't care about Darren Helm. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and I never feel that about any player. Like, if you retire while you're still good, like, go for it. Fair enough. Good point. But I would care even less. The chances of me caring would be even smaller, <laughs> even more remote if for Darren Helm. So go ahead. Retire. Mm-hmm. See if I care, Darren. All right. Um, another thing I want to say on Colorado is that they ended up with the best slash funniest team cup photo of all time because Nicholas Abe Kubel <laughs> dented it, dropped it on the way, and then everyone like had mouth agape wide open laughing. And I, I, I saw one, I don't think it was the official picture, but there was one angle that was like right after it was dropped and being recovered. And like everyone 
on the on the avalanche had these massive like expressions of like whoa you just dropped it and i think it was actually dented so there's a funny moment of the night yeah yeah you can see in the clip it's, it's clearly no longer circular uh nice nice little flat spot he put on the cup um so there's a little souvenir um off to tampa bay what are what are our initial thoughts here uh it did seem like their offensive c- capacities fizzled out relative to, to Colorado. Um, I think a lot of that you can, you know, point at injuries um, and uh, maybe they just weren't talented enough, but I think, you know, their, their offensive output just wasn't enough at the end. Okay. Yeah. I know you're, you, it makes sense to try to rationalize like where Tampa fell short. Um, maybe it's just cause I picked Tampa. So I don't want to, you know, say I was wrong, even though I was, <laughs> even though I was close. Bias. But I, I do think like, you know, I've, and I'm not really seeing much talk like this, but sometimes people get into their heads like, oh, Tampa's dynasty is over. Uh, I don't see it shaking out that way at all. Um, even though, you know, Palazzo UFA, whatever, Nick Paul, they don't have that much in the pipeline. But this series was very close. Two of the games they lost were in overtime, and another one was a one-goal game. Uh, this very clearly could have, you know, swung a different way one of the games, and we could be talking about Game 7 tomorrow. I know that's not what happened. But also, consider that they did it without Braden Point. They did one without Stamkos a few years ago when they won. Uh, Stamkos stepped up this year, but he still probably wasn't quite as good as Braden Point has been in their past playoff runs. That's a, that's a massive deal, and they still gave the Avalanche a great run for their money. Uh, so I think, you know, Tampa's reign as a threatening team, or, you know, a real Stanley Cup threat, uh, is far from over. And I think they could possibly win it again next year go three for four sure that's fair i just felt like as the series dragged on they just lost too many places uh too many pieces uh and they weren't getting enough from their depth right like you know they were they lost point sorelli was clearly very very injured right and like it was really one line that was kind of producing wasn't it it was palat stamkos and kucherov and yeah we didn't hear much of anybody else if you think about it and you know it was almost enough you know granted i'm not saying it was lopsided but like i thought it was it was at least you know somewhat tilted uh in colorado's favor and vasilevsky almost was you know the great equalizer and whatnot but at the end of the day i like you can see why they lost in six games right uh they were outplayed by colorado especially in terms of offensive generation uh in a lot of these games uh and the depth just wasn't there, whether it's just talent or, you know, significant injuries. Uh, I would, you know, still argue that the, uh, the the point still stands. Yeah. Um. Also, I guess the Patrick Maroon streak was not stronger than the Corey Perry streak. Uh, first player ever to lose three Stanley Cup finals in a row with three different teams. That's really something, isn't it? Yeah. So if I'm a, if I'm an up and coming team. And I want to guarantee myself, you know, a deep cup run. All I need to do is just add Corey Perry. So watch out. I don't know. Or Patrick Maroon. I feel like that's the better option. Yeah, but his streak is dead. His streak is dead. It's over. (laughs) Done. This was the year to add him. If we want to talk about players with cup finals streak appearances, Corey Perry's got three and Patrick Maroon's got four. So. You know what? True. But Corey Perry has a more meaningful streak, you know? It's more meaningful to be 0-3 than 3-1. Now, what, what does meaning even mean? 
up for debate. <laughs> Very much up for debate. But it's just, you know, it's cooler. I'll just say that. So that's my advice. Fuck Patrick Maroon. Perry is still under contract with Tampa next year, though. Oh. He signed a two-year deal. I did not so know So he's that. not hitting the open market. Yeah. There we go. So looks like they're doomed to another runner-up. That's what I say. Um, and yeah, Patrick Maroon's a real asshole, isn't he? That's that's what I got. You know, oh, he's just a real asshat. That's what I discovered. You want to talk about asshats? Did you see what Kucherov was doing near the end of the game? Uh, no, I don't. You was, didn't catch this. Was it the was it the Manson this, thing, or was that somebody else? No, I don't even. I don't even know what you're talking about the okay. Manson thing. Who's, so basically, okay. go ahead. Like 25 or so seconds left in the game. Do you remember the almost icing call where Hedman was going slowly to try to sell it, but yeah. it was waved? Yeah, yeah. Basically, like. At the same time that was going on, or like a couple seconds later, Kucherov's stick had broken, and he went to the bench to get a new one. Sure. And the equipment manager didn't have one ready for him, so Kucherov started throwing his gloves at the equipment manager. (laughs) Go on Twitter, look at this clip. It's insane. He is... What? He is going ballistic, and it's like, you're almost out of time, Kucherov. Like, settle down. You're Nikita Kucherov. Take any stick compose yourself and try to score but he like basically took himself out of the play in anger that the equipment manager you know wasn't ready with a new stick for him it's insane and i'm shocked that like it took a while for this to get any sort of traction <laughs> but people were barely talking about it and paying attention to it what the hell i just saw the clip pretty easy to find worth a search for anybody listening uh but very aggressively just throwing in throwing in the towel you know in that sense yeah yeah real loser shit Nikita Kucherov. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I guess you could say he was going off for a change. I see somebody else. Somebody came off the bench at the same time. Um, so, you know, maybe they were making a change. And he just decided so to get off the ice. The ice. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, pretty pretty unhinged. And, and, and separate thing, but like, why are you getting Kucherov off the ice with 20 seconds left in an elimination game? Because you, don't have, a, because you don't have a stick ready. <laughs> oh, I guess so. <laughs> is the main point? He's, he doesn't have. He doesn't have a. You don't have a stick for him, and he's throwing his gloves at you. Um, that's, that's <laughs> it's yeah. time to send somebody else on uh, with twenty seconds left. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, was I think it was Patrick Maroon. There was somebody who just took a vicious whack at Josh Manson after the the Lekkonen goal. Um, it was behind the I don't play, remember who. and uh, yeah, they just they just you know went two handed. Just tried to, uh, you know, like baseball bat swing into the, you know, back of the leg of Josh Manson. But Manson caught it and like lifted his skate to, to deflect the stick. But that could have been mm. pretty dang bad. So, yeah. Yikes. Bad shit. And uh, damn, I hadn't caught that Kucherov thing till now. All right. Uh, anybody else? Let's see. Any other notable lightning? I guess, you know, Vasilevsky was obviously very good. No complaints there. He just uh, and got better as the series went on, but didn't get enough offense support. I kind of expected more to Brandon Hagel throughout the whole playoff. Was not very noticeable. Yeah, that's fair. I think I think as you know, especially in this series, they you you just didn't get enough from the depth. You know, uh, whether it was mm-hmm. Hagel or like even like Ross Colton, I didn't hear shit about him all, all series. Uh, where, you know, he's like one of the, the, the up-and-coming depth dudes that everybody talks about when they talk about Tampa, right? Um, and, you know, Sorelli was obviously injured. Uh, but, yeah, they're like, you know, who who kind of contributed 
in that bottom three, uh, like bottom three lines. Not much. Not not enough. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, good for Colorado, I guess. Uh, it's nice this stretch run of like really great teams winning, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what is it? What is it? Three years in a row. Would you argue St. Louis is really really good? I would argue St. Louis is an outlier. Like yeah. Is the main one of like, oh, really? St. Louis managed to win? Um, but yeah, I guess in general, there's not much to complain about in terms of, you know, teams that don't deserve it winning Stanley Cups. No. In the grand scheme of things. No, I think they, they usually they top out of the third round. And occasionally you'll get your Habs in Dallas. In yeah, the in the final. Yeah. But, but the, yeah, I think, you know, this supports the argument. You need to build a bona fide good team. Uh, you're not going to luck your way into the final, uh, into the cup win. Might luck your way into the final mm-hmm. is what we've seen from the last two years. <laughs> um, but yeah, the good teams eventually usually went out. And yeah, we had a yeah, that was a that was a fucking entertaining series, wasn't it? Like that was a quality yeah. six games. I have no complaints. Except maybe the officiating. But you know, we won't get into that. Okay. Um, other news. Coaching stuff. Of course, a hot topic at this time of year. Uh let's start with the news that broke I think the day after our last episode. Which we spent some time in it talking about what Florida's doing. Why is Florida looking for a new coach? What's so bad about Andrew Burnett? I guess maybe if they get Trotz or Claude Julian or someone of that caliber, they consider moving on. Um, but instead, they went and hired Paul Maurice, who, um, what what has he done? What is he? He made the conference finals once with the Jets. Uh, he actually, I saw a stat that he has made the playoffs. Uh, less often than he's missed in his entire career, which is quite a long career at this point. Um, and he resigned from the Jets because the Jets were never going to fire him. And he was like, I'm not taking this team anywhere. I should be fired, probably. You know, he could probably tell that like he'd worn out his welcome and his usefulness, um, which is some good self-awareness, I guess. Um, but it seems that he's just a really, <laughs> excuse me, really nice guy. That's why the Jets didn't want to fire him, and that's why Florida was like, we're getting him. Jack Adams winner, Andrew Burnett, nah, let's bring on Paul Maurice, who has uh, never been successful. Straight up. No track record. The only track record he has is, is, you know, presence. You know, being an NHL coach. But that's it, right? Like, yeah, he's made the playoffs less than, you know, less years than he's missed. And on top of that, uh, what, he's coached 24 years. He's made the round two Three times. That's uh, it's quite the miss rate. Abysmal. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, no excuse. No excuse for the Florida Panthers to be hiring such a fucking mediocre coach. You know? Is he an NHL coach? Sure. One for a contender? Nope. Not one bit. I, I struggled to see anything revolutionary and new about the guy who fucking coached the Winnipeg Jets the last three years. Or not three years. last million years. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just don't understand it. Um, other than, you know, I guess they like the dude, but Bill, Z- Bill Zito could have done better than this. And, you know, if he couldn't find anybody better on the open market, the answer was right there in front of him and right in his organization. Andrew Burnett was perfectly capable. Uh, and you know, obviously a disappointing exit to the playoffs, but lots of room to improve a, a young coach. This was his first gig. Uh, so, you know, no point, you know, sending him out the door, which is which it looks like is going to happen at this point. Uh, in, in favor of Paul fucking Maurice, of all people, you could have hired. Why this guy? You know, I thought he was done. He quit the fucking job. 
right? Which like go for it, but you know, no reason to hire the guy uh, when he's uh, not a very good coach. So there you go. That's the bit on Paul Maurice. Just a head scratcher. Have you heard? Have you heard anything on Brunette and whether he's staying or going or anything? Nothing. Nothing as of yet. I hear he's unhappy, and he's looking at probably going to end up as an assistant elsewhere uh, at this point because uh, not many jobs open. I feel like Detroit might be a good fit for him. Yeah, it could be for sure. I think that's that's the one place where that's you know the one realistic option at this point uh, as he goes to Detroit. That wouldn't be a terrible fit for sure. Uh, and. Yeah, they'd be make, making a better decision than hiring Paul Maurice, dragging his ass out of <laughs> voluntary retirement. Out of unemployment. Uh, other coaching news. Chicago has uh, poached Luke Richardson away from Montreal and has made him their new head coach. Uh, well, definitely an upgrade on Jeremy Colleton and on interim coach Derek King. Um, I feel like I feel like, you know... This is a this is a potential success story in terms of coaching. I feel like you know, in terms of Montreal coaching, Luke Richardson's a name that people generally think has done a good job in his tenure here in whatever role he had, which I barely remember what it was. Yeah, I feel like his his name has kind of been buzzing recently. The last couple of years or the last year since they made that cup final, and you know he took over in that emergency cap- capacity uh, for Ducharme. Where, you know, he's been brought in for interviews and whatnot. And it did feel like he was somebody who was eventually going to get a shot. Uh, and seems like a likable dude. I got to say, just overall good vibes. And yeah, at this point, uh, you know, the Blackhawks are clearly on the way uh, to bottoming out as an organization. And bottoming out their roster. So, you know, it's a, it's he's a young guy. Hasn't coached before in the NHL as a head coach. Give him a shot. You know, he has the assistant experience. So, yeah, I like the hire for sure. Seems pretty smart to take a gamble on this guy. And uh, Barry Trotz is taking a year off or is decided he's not going to coach anywhere at the start of the year? Is that right? Yep. That's right. He has turned Any down. Thoughts? Yeah, he's turned down the job in Winnipeg because I'm pretty sure they were they were keen on offering it to him uh if he was going to accept but nope they got to look elsewhere uh that is a that's a tough break for for winnipeg seems like they put a lot of their eggs in that barry trotz basket and yeah like i feel like anybody else they hire uh well obviously won't be the level of barry trotz and won't be able to elevate that roster which you know is not the best but they they have hellebuck and they you know they have playoff aspirations nowadays so yeah I, I, I struggle. I have no idea who they're going to hire next. Um, but I think it's going to be choppy waters uh, n- no matter which way they go at this point because I think they were really banking on trots. Why aren't we hearing about Claude Julien anymore? I like heard his name nowhere. Yeah, it's weird, eh? I don't know. It feels like the NHL is kind of over him. Uh, but he's so he was great. Yeah. He was like the best five-on-five coach in the world. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe he's just been around, been around too long, uh. But it certainly hasn't been an issue for a lot of other coaches. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like Rick Bonus was, you know, just had a job. He's been around since like 1942. Yeah, I I I don't know. Maybe he's taking. Yeah. Oh wait, no. He. I was gonna say maybe he's taking a break. 
like he has expressed a desire to come back to the NHL, right? Uh, I think I remember seeing that recently. So I think so. Yeah, that is kind of weird, eh? That he's not even really getting any interviews, and he has a very good track record of having a very competent defensive system. Yep. Oh well. Best of luck to him, I guess. Um, let's talk about the Hall of Fame class. Yeah, let's How's do that it. Sound? Lots of Canucks. Okay. Fun vibes. Yeah, this this is a fun one. Um, of course, you know, you got Henrik and Daniel Sidian, plus Roberto Luongo, and also Daniel Alfredson, hashtag Alfie to the Hall, I guess has paid off. Uh, those are the only names I remember off the top of my head. Was McGillney in there too? No, it was, uh, it was Rika Salonen and Herb Carnegie to round out the class. Oh, yes, Herb Carnegie. Yeah. Do you know uh, about Herb Carnegie? Not much. Do you? Yeah, I well, I had like barely heard of him, but I was, you know, people were talking about him today. Obviously, um, I don't think he ever played in the NHL. He was uh, a black player in the '40s and '50s, and he played on. Here, I was reading this on Wikipedia earlier. Uh, the Toronto Young Rangers, and basically the you know common belief is that Con Smythe who owned the Maple Leafs at the time, basically said that uh, he would he would sign Carnegie on the Leafs if he were white and said he would pay $10,000 to anyone who could, quote, turn him white. So, uh, yeah, Conn Smythe was a pretty fucked up guy. Um, but Herb Carnegie was a great player. Uh, he passed away in 2012 at age 92, so he's being uh, posthumously inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, maybe we should change the name of that trophy, eh? You might think. Yeah, it kind of seems like it. Pretty, pretty cracked quote. It's disgusting. Uh, I'm on, you know. That's whack. Um, but yeah, that's that's nice. Uh, that uh, you know, in 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 retrospect, that's uh, what what, what do you say? He's from the '40s. Is that right? Yeah, he played in the '40s and '50s. He played for the uh, the Quebec Aces, the Shawinigan Cataracts. Um. Although both of these, uh, okay, the Cataracts is now the name of the QMJHL team. The Quebec Aces uh, were an amateur amateur, and later a professional uh, ice hockey team from Quebec City, founded in 1928. I don't see what league, oh, in the American Hockey League, I guess, uh, which I'm not sure if this American Hockey League is the same as that American Hockey League. Um, but yeah, he was uh, he was a great player who was definitely... NHL caliber and probably better. All right. Well, there you go. Glad to see he's getting that recognition, even if it does come uh, quite late. Uh, very late, I would I would say. Um, but looking at the other dudes, uh, who do we start with? We can start with Daniel Averton, Alfredson, who's probably the, uh, you know, the most hotly debated guy out of this class. Uh, you know, certainly not 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 a lock like, you know, the Sedins. Uh, where, yeah, just... Uh, What's the voting process for this? I don't remember. I don't remember who a goes bunch for of, What's going on? I think it's a professional hockey writers association. Or is it even? Or is it just like a hockey hall of fame voting committee who like no one knows who's on it and no one knows how the voting works. And they all kind of just, I don't know, convene and vote in an extremely convoluted way. And then sometimes if a player's not quite good enough, they might get in in like 15 years. Does that help? Thanks. Yeah, that sounds about accurate. That's that sounds about accurate. Uh, that's pretty fucked. I'll, I'll do. You know, 
well, let's do it like the baseball system, you know? Big, big vote. There's a whole show about the percentages, the cutoffs. You know, it just makes it that much more interesting. Other than one day, you know, it shows up on my Twitter feed that these five people have made it in. See, like, is this even a set number thing? Does it have to be five? You know? I don't think so. That's... It feels like a random... It was every year is between, like, four and eight. Random as shit. Um... So yeah, honestly, I don't, I don't know what I have much to say about any of these players. Uh, I feel like didn't we, didn't we discuss the Alfredson case at one point? I feel like we did. We did. Yeah, I think we came out on the side of put him in there. Yeah, sounds sounds familiar. At least I did. The one I was against was Getzlaff, and he like just just retired. Right, and Spezza too. I think I. What was it? I think I was against Spezza also. I was like, okay, let's pump the brakes a bit. I said, fuck it, put him in. I remember pretty clearly because that was pretty recent. <laughs> Spezza thing, right? He got bumped up to the front office. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But Alfredson was a while ago. But I, I think we did land on, you know, likable dude, franchise icon. He's got the production. Sure. Put him in. Go for it. You see? It's just great vibes. You know, everybody's everybody's celebrating. Uh, you know, that's what it's all about. You'll have to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luongo had a tweet that was like Sadin Sadin Luongo best line in hockey or something like that uh, and there were some funny replies uh, among them there was I think Tom Sestito was like with Sestito on defense and then Frank Carrado was like as my D partner <laughs> um, but another someone else was Frank like Carrado. you and Henrik should have a former captains only lunch every once in a while just to piss off Daniel <laughs> yeah I what was that? I don't remember the last time we had this many players from like a single team, like not just like a one franchise, but like you know, time wise, they were all there together. That's pretty nuts, yeah. you know. Three in one class, this is like fucking fifty percent, you know, twenty eleven Canucks. That's uh, <laughs> seems a bit wild. And it's uh, it's four out of six Swedes. Oh, that's true. Is it? Wait, wait, oh, no, it's three. Not. It's three. Yeah, I don't. Why, why in my head Luongo was a Swede for a moment? <laughs> Maybe I was just like, oh, he played with the Sedin, so he's Swedish. <laughs> yeah, he's just the all Swedes line. Sedin, Sedin, Luongo. That's what they say. <laughs> Swedish power. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have not much else to add. It's just you know, cool that they get recognized. Good for them. Congratulations. Drink a beer. Hmm. All right. Uh, let's talk about. Some the draft more preview. Uh, last week I'll admit was a little messy. We were jumping around from here to there, um. So we decided this week to focus in a little bit more on some players, and the players we picked are the second tier of defensemen. By second tier, I mean beyond Simone Nemec and David Juracek, who are probably going to both both go into the top five or six. Um, and that second tier includes the likes of, uh, Pavel Minchukov. Kevin Korchinski, Denton Matejchuk, and then I'll talk about this a, a little bit, but I think there's a, a bit of a gap after those three to players like uh, Lane Hudson, Leon Bichelle, Owen Pickering, Seamus Casey. Uh, I don't know if you can tell, but I've actually done a fair amount of, of reading and research on the draft over the past week or so, and I feel like I know much more than I did at this time seven days ago. A1. A1, we're, we're draft prepping uh, as we get yep. ready to uh, go to the draft. What is it, two weeks now? Just about. Uh, less. Oh, crazy. 
That's fast. Uh, so yeah, which which of these which of these players should we start with? Do you have a favorite that you want to go to? Uh, if by favorite you mean the one I think is the best, yeah. then I do. Go for it. And I have Matejuk as my best of this group. I'd probably have him ranked just outside the top ten. Um, but I, it feels like the consensus leans more towards Kevin Korczynski, which is a little surprising to me. Um, because I was looking on the athletic on this this piece, like what scouts and executives think about certain players. So it's you know anonymous, like executive number two, scout number three, or whatever. Uh, and they were asked questions about a bunch of different players, and they gave their opinions. And pieces like this, you know, they're interesting because it's always a big help to get a little line into the brains of the people who are actually making the calls. But on the other hand, because these pieces tend to want to show diversity of opinion, you end with some uh, with people who are like, oh, I love Korczynski. He should go in the top 10. And other people who are like, oh, I'm not sold. I, I like a bunch of players more. And it's like, I learned nothing because everyone disagrees. Um, but it tends to be valuable anyway. But one consistent thing people seem to think about Korczynski uh, is that to one degree or another, uh, in his own zone, uh, there's work to be done. Some people are like, oh, the upside is high enough. Uh, we can work with it. He's got like Shea Theodore potential. And others, you know, it's like he's in junior and he looks bad in his own end. I'm not sure if that can really be salvaged into a competent, you know, into if the offense will outweigh the defense at the NHL level with a player like that. And, you know, we talk about swing for the fences in the first round and going for upside. And everyone does seem to think, you know, there's a lot of offensive upside with Korczynski. I My surprise tends to be more that a lot of executives and scouts of the NHL uh, seem to think the same way. And then he might go like just outside the top 10. Yeah, I think, you know, when we talk about upside, it still does feel like Matejchuk has more though. No, like I think, I feel like the fact that Korczynski is higher rated and perhaps these scouts eyes, like I wonder if it's a size thing. Right, we're always talking about size, but I feel like you know with defensemen, you like you know what is Kuczynski's like six two, Matejchuk's like five ten, um, you know they bring like somewhat similar skill sets, uh, but I feel like you know perhaps that's that's the bias that's going on, um, you know with Matejchuk he the upside really comes with his skating, right, uh, and that's what really makes him so exciting, uh, one of the best skaters in this class, uh, and yeah he's got he's got the the, the playmaking chops and that kind of vision, uh, in you know, to go with it. So, you know, that's that's the kind of exciting prospect that, you know, it, it makes sense uh, to, yeah, even if he's 5'10", honestly, who cares at that point? Uh, if he's that, you know, if he's got that, that A1 skill, you know, put him up there at like, you know, 11, 12, 13. Uh, that's, that, that's fine with me. Uh, and with Korczynski, you know, not, a, you know, a defensive liability, that's, you know, maybe that's a junior thing. You know, maybe his team didn't have a very good defensive system, uh, and that's why he didn't have a clearly defined role. He is swimming out there, a little lost. I think he can be worked on. I just think that Matejchuk's, you know, skill set, uh, it just it just pops more. I feel like it has more upside, especially with the skating. Yeah, I would agree. And with Korczynski, I don't think I I think size is a part of it. I also think recency bias is a part of it because another interesting thing about his draft stock is that it skyrocketed. In not just in the second half of the year, but in the playoffs too. Uh, see, he was, you know, he's an offensive defenseman. Uh, he had, you know, a ton of assists in junior this year. But uh, the playoff run he went on with, I think, the Thunderbirds in the WHL. 
I uh, really took it up a notch. And that, you know, that catches scouts' eyes. But you also need to be wary of the small sample size. Um, actually, I watched some some clips on YouTube of these players today, too. And that I feel like that just cemented what I had already been thinking from my reading on Korchinski and Matejchuk and even Pavel Minchukov. I feel like Korchinski, um, he's, you know, evading four checkers with spinoramas in his own zone, that type of flashy type thing. But it feels like it's such a, an effort for him. Which I don't say, you know, effort as like, uh, you know, it's good to put an effort. But I compare that to Matejchuk and even Minchukov, where, you know, their rushes, their the way they involve themselves offensively, find open lanes for passes to get scoring chances themselves, feel so fluid and effortless uh, for, for both of them. So I would probably have both of those players, Matejchuk and Minchukov, as, you know, a clear notch ahead of Korchinski. And I think I'd give Matejchuk the edge um, because his defensive game is uh, is more well-rounded than Minchukov's is at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it, if it if it it just says that much more if they can make it look easy, right? Uh, it's one thing to pull it off, uh, but yeah, the especially Matejchuk, I feel like he's just so fluid, uh, especially with the skating. I think that's that's the the one trait that we talk about, uh, whether it's scoring goals or whatnot. For him, it's uh, he's just. He's just great on his edges. Um, when it comes to Minchukov, what's your what's your vibe on you know what what's his kind of what makes him pop? Is there anything in, in particular like a particular skill uh, that kind of stands out with a guy, or is it more an overall package kind of thing? Uh, well, I think I kind of what comes to mind is honestly a cross between the other two guys we're talking about in a certain way uh, between Matejchuk and Korchinski, uh, which maybe fits because I have him ranked in between the two of them. Um, I do see him kind of similarly to Korchinski. Uh, you know, he's a pretty decent size and he definitely is an offensive minded defenseman. Um, he appears to sometimes go a little crazy with, uh, with the pinches offensively, which has bitten him in the past. I mean, Korchinski struggles with too, but Minchukov has, a, uh, you know, it's, it's, it has improved over the course of the season. Um, and I, I just compared him to Matejchuk in that, you know, the offensive game just looks so easy for him and so effortless, which is is amazing to see. Another thing to note with Minchukov, though, which is extra impressive, is that he, well, he's from Russia. He came over to North America to play in the OHL. The OHL didn't play the entire 2020-21 season. So he basically a year of his development off. And then he, you know, came back this year. And he improved so much over the course of the season to the point where he may get drafted in the top 15 or I guess kind of a long shot, but top 10 is a possibility as well. So I think that that's an amazing sign that even with missing an entire year of development, which I know a lot of these players miss sometimes, but most didn't miss an entire year, he was still able to cover all that ground in a short amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like it bodes well. I think, you know, with with Korchinski and Minchukov, yeah, it's that, you know, they need to... Maybe perhaps they're sometimes, you know, a bit too eager in the offensive zone or like aggressive and they just need to work on their decision making. But I think that's absolutely something you can work on, right? It's not it's not a raw skill problem. It's just, you know, you can coach that up. Uh, that's, that's definitely something you can learn in the NHL or just in their developmental programs. Uh, you say there's like, a, a, you know, you, you cut the tear off after those three. Um, I would add Lane Hudson to that group. Um, I Very think. fair. Uh, yeah, he's just, you know, he's obviously the, the big knock on him is the, 
is the size. What is he like? Five, eight, five, nine, uh, which, mm-hmm. you know, you don't see much of in the NHL in terms of defensemen. Uh, but yeah, he's just, he, he's a playmaker, right? He has, you know, excellent, excellent vision. Uh, and he just knows how to make the right play. Uh, you know, and that, that, you know, that lack of height, so to speak, uh, it makes him agile. He's great. He's a great mover. Uh, so, you know, just, he has, you know, a, a very unique skill set, being at a size, but also, you know, just having the, really the kind of vision that you can't really teach, uh, as a defenseman. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I put him fourth out of those four, but I, I wouldn't argue there's such a big gap between him and, uh, you know, the other three. Yeah. That was the next guy I was going to name too. Cause he's, you know, kind of the extreme end of like the, Oh, you know, small defenseman who's good offensively type thing. Um, which I feel like, yeah, your teams are coming around on it. There are, there are good small defensemen around. Even that, what I was talking about with the what scouts think, like so they do cite Tory Krug, Jared Spurgeon, Matt Grizzlick as like the type of player Lane Hudson could potentially grow into. So there is a precedent there. Um, but I, as we know, there is still this size bias there where teams may be looking like, oh, do we want to, do we really want to take a swing on this small guy who, you know, is a bit of a, you know, long shot to really reaching his full potential more or less uh they may think that way where as you know you have maybe another safer quote-unquote safer option sitting on the draft board too yeah i think you could see him potentially you know falling into the second round uh because you know if, if there's always that safer pick for that general manager uh to take you might you might see him tumble to day two or just the back end of day one uh and you might actually see that gap right between the top three and him but at that point I would argue it's a bargain uh, because, you know, for swinging for upside, uh, he's got a ton of that. And yeah, I mean, small defenseman, uh, clearly small, you know, offensive minded defenseman, especially uh, there is there is certainly a precedent for that in the league. I am very interested in Leanne Bichel, um because he's very polarizing and he's kind of the total opposite of Lane Hudson in a way. Uh, he is the he's six foot five physical defenseman which is kind of, you know, a red flag for a lot of people. Um, Where people seem to differ, though. Some are like, oh, yeah, he doesn't really have any offensive upside at all. Maybe become like a bottom pairing defenseman. And some are like, no, don't underestimate his puck skills. He has some some vision. He has some offensive tools. He has some offensive touch. And people seem to disagree on that. I may have to watch a few clips to form my own opinion. But basically... A lot of people are drawn to Keandre Miller comparison. A lot of who like this player. And, you know, if you're picking around 20 and you think a defenseman can turn to Keandre Miller, I think that's a reasonable swing to take. Um, players like that don't come around very often. Uh, on the other hand, if you're thinking it's more likely he turns into Jared Cowan, you probably don't draft him at all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I think it's somewhere in the middle. You know, I I don't know if, you know, he's the... The second coming of Keandre Miller necessarily doesn't. I don't think he has the offensive upside to it. Um, but it's not like he's an offensive nothing. Uh, he's got, you know, solid, solid, you know, puck skills, hand, hands, so to speak. Uh, and he's got, you know, for especially for his size, he can. Uh, he's got some, not bad in terms of skating. Now, would I draft him in the first round? I would say no, hard no. Uh, you know, because what does he really have going for him that brings him to that next level? Now we're talking about like, you know, physicality, his size, and, you know, I don't know if I'm after that. Uh, You know, I don't think that's the upside I'm kind of chasing in the first round. Now, 
you know, maybe mid second round. I certainly have no objections to that. Uh, you know, if he does manage to, you know, work on his offense, uh, then you got yourself, you know, quite the formidable specimen, so to speak. But, you know, it's not there yet. And it's when it's, you know, in question whether those skills are there in the first place. I don't know if you uh, take a swing on that in the first round. Yeah, I'd be, you know, every other defense we've mentioned so far, I'd probably be more willing to take than him. Um, another defenseman, I'd probably also be willing to be more willing to take than him. When I read Owen Pickering's scouting reports, I'm very confused as to why he isn't ranked higher. He tends to be around the mid twenties or even into the second round. And here's on uh, Corey Pronman's analysis. He has him ranked twenty four, by the way. Uh, he's a six foot four defenseman who skates quite well for his size and has offense. Like what? You know, if that's all true, all in that one sentence. Isn't that like, you know, an NHL scout's total dream package, dream defenseman? Um, that, he, you know, his offense, you know, isn't great. His point totals don't pop out at you, but he, he has the offensive tools and he's a great skater and he's six foot four. Uh, and maybe, you know, the upside isn't top pairing, but I feel like this is the kind of player that a scout, a team could absolutely fall in love with and in the top 20 just trip over themselves on the way to the podium to take. Yeah, I guess. It feels like a, you know, like a safe pick. You know, he's got offensive, you know, game, but maybe not one that that pops out at you, you know, one that you know, you might see as your power play quarterback for the next half decade. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. I think if you're looking for that in a defenseman, I think, you know, maybe you go with you know, you, I I I think, you know, back end of the first round is probably appropriate, I would say. You know, I can, when it comes to what do we expect from NHL scouts? Yeah, absolutely. Put them in the top, whatever, 20, top 15. I can see it happening uh, because, yeah, it does sound like the scout's dream, right? Size, can skate, can do the offense. That's great. Uh, and, you know, they're drooling all over that. Uh, but for me, you know, uh, he has offense. Great. Uh, but to, to what level? And, yeah, where, where's the upside if I'm drafting him higher than, you know, in the, if you're drafting him in the top 20. You want to talk about safe pick defenseman? I, it's Ryan Chesley. That's the one. Did you read it into Ryan Chesley at all? Uh, not much, I must admit. Enlighten us. All right. Within every single ring I've seen, he's like a few spots within like number 29. Like he's <laughs> always right around 29, 30. Like, you know, tail end of the first round. Like Ryan Johnson type thing from a few years ago. He's basically... This everyone across the entire scouting community seems to have the exact same opinion on him and it seems to like him the exact same amount, which is an extreme rarity. And the idea with him is basically like, oh, no, nothing's going to get by him. Apparently, he plays for the U.S. Uh, development program. And apparently all the forwards on the team were like, yeah, he's definitely the hardest one to go up against in practice. He's going to he's going to stop you every time. Um Notably omitted from that is uh, any mention of the offensive side of the ice. Um, but, you know, late first round, early second, you're always going to end up with some team who's like, you know, we'll take the defensive stalwart. Yeah, that, and that's what he is, right? Like, he's just a safe pick is exactly the right way to put it. Uh, you know, a stay-at-home defenseman. We see them every year. Like, you know, the, the best defensive defenseman in this class. Great. You know, what does he bring for me, you know, at the other end of the ice? Uh, that you know, maybe isn't as coachable as being able to be competent in your own zone. Uh, so, you know, I am not a fan 
of such prospects. Well, you know, they have their place in the league for sure. You know, there's there's roles for them uh, and they can be quite important. But I think, you know, in terms of what are we looking for in a draft when we're drafting uh, and that can't really that's very hard to acquire, you know, via trade or, or or free agency. It's that upper level of NHL player. And, you know, it's it's a big time rarity uh, to see, you know, an upper level stay at home defenseman with no offensive capabilities or very little. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm not really keen on these kind of prospects personally, and I probably wouldn't draft him until the back of the second round, even if, you know, nobody can get by him or whatever it is. Yeah, I think we're pretty much on the same page with that type of thing. Uh, one more defenseman who's probably going to go in a similar range I want to talk about, I know I think you'll like better, is uh, Seamus Casey, also on the U.S. development program. Uh, he's five foot ten. So, you know, he's small, but of course that doesn't bother us, doesn't bother you and me. Uh, and he's more of a, the offensive type, uh, you know, good skater. Uh, here, here, I'll read some, some from, uh, from Scott Wheeler's. He looks effortless out there, weaving in and out of coverage and mixing in delays and fakes with a puck to create space for himself or take it from others. Uh, so, you know, offensive defenseman, where this is the type of player where if things work out, you may hit a home run. Yeah, I think, hmm, well, what level of upside do we put this at, do we think? Do we think it's a, you know, what what upside? I, is I, it like a, a good second-pairing defenseman kind of guy where he can really kind of bring the offense there? I think it's several notches below the other three we were talking about, Matejchuk, yeah. Minchukov, Korchinski. Actually, I do think this is a very good draft for defenseman. Overall, it's like a maybe slightly below average draft. But most years, I find myself looking at, you know, reading the reports, falling in love with the forwards and their skill and high upside. This year, it's kind of the other way around. A lot of the forwards, you know, the like top fifteen of the draft, I, like I latch on to certain red flags, and I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. I feel like you know Matejchuk and Pavel Minchukov have a much better chance to become real difference makers than someone like Jonathan Lakaramaki or Connor Geeky. Or maybe even like you know Marco Casper, Matthew Savoy. I really like those de- two, those two defensemen. Yeah, I, I would agree, especially on Matejchuk. You know, if you're you're sitting there right outside the top ten, uh, grab him because yeah, the the upside and just the raw skill, especially when it comes to the skating. And we know you know skating in the NHL that's and you know a prime skill uh, of of great importance. Uh, yeah, I I would absolutely go and swing for that home run uh and yeah compared to the forwards uh who don't have that upside and maybe not you know won't be won't fulfill that number one kind of defenseman role potentially or anything of that importance yeah all right so uh i think that's mostly it uh on draft talk but i wanted to shout out two other forwards i didn't warn you of this there are two forwards i want to mention um I, we might have mentioned one last week, but I have more info I want to discuss. The first one is Rut, Rutger McGrorty. Do you know about Rutger McGrorty? Uh, vaguely. Well, he's got a great name. Uh, and he does. Skilled winger man. Yeah, he's skilled winger man, but he's not just skilled winger man. He's also leadershipy winger man. No. Um, this year's uh, def- default future captain, whatever, Tyson Jost type thing who got traded and then his team won the Stanley Cup without him. But anyway, 
Uh, Wheeler's report starts with McGrordy's one of those kids who just looks like a pro hockey player. Um, so basically, he's basically he was the captain of the U.S. development program. Um, this first paragraph talks about his charisma and the light and energy that oozes out of him. Um, but then he does go on to say, you have to uh, be careful not to put too much stock into the off-ice piece of the puzzle that he already appears to have figured out. And he goes on to skate, you know, good skater, good offensive winger, that type of thing. He's not like a bum on the ice, of course. Going to go in the first round. But the reason I bring him up is because this seems like prime Pierre Dorian reaches for him at number seven material. <laughs> no way. I just, if I, I was like... <laughs> They did Tyler Boucher last year. Are you kidding? Captain of the U.S. development program who, like, apparently impressed everyone in interviews. That's Pierre Dorian's favorite midnight snack right there. They're reach- <laughs> He's ranked, like, you know, late teens, early 20s in a lot of lists. Ottawa's stepping up, taking him number seven. That's my super flaming hot take. Wow. All right. That's 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 a good one. Yeah, this is the Dorian calling card. Uh, yeah, the off-ice stuff can be overrated. Absolutely. Because, uh... You know, you mentioned Tyson Jost. You know, recently Instagramless Tyson Jost. Uh, no, you, you got to focus on the uh, the on ice skill. You know, obviously you don't want an ass hat, but you know the 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 skill will show out. And you know, sounds like McGordy is us. He's got the skill, but not not to, not to the caliber of like you know top ten dude. Yep. Um. Last guy. Did we talk about Brad Lambert at all last week? We did talk about Brad. I don't know if it was last week, uh, but it was someone recently. Anyway, I, what do you what got I to want add? to say about Brad Lambert? Go for okay, it. Okay, because at the start of the year, he was, the talk was like, oh, potential top five pick. Oh, yeah, I mean, we did talk about it because we compared him to Atu Ratty, and he kind of stagnated. And some people are still like mocking him to the top 10. Um, I, after reading what three executives and one scout have to say about Brad Lambert, would be very surprised if he ended up going in the top 10. He is going to slide. I'm almost certain of it. Because for every question asked to scouts and executives in this article, you got, you know, mixed answers. With Brad Lambert, here are the four answers. I'll read them verbatim. Number one, from executive number one. If you're thinking of stepping up in the top 10 or 12 and taking him, thinking he's so talented he'll figure it out, you're kidding yourself. Oh, shit. In the back... Yeah, in the back half of the first when the in the back half of the first round, I guess when the next best alternative has nowhere near the tools he has, then it will start to make more sense. Scout, I would take him somewhere in the teens. He didn't have a great season, but you have to remember all he's done before and how good the skating and skill package is. So that seems to be a nice review, but it still says I'm not taking him till the teens. Executive number two says he's not for me. <laughs> I've seen little progress in his game year over year. The skating is awesome, but there's not much else there that interests me. A lot of circling the perimeter doesn't make many plays. We'll let someone else take him. And finally, executive number three. People talk about how talented he is, but outside a couple World Junior games when I watched him this season, he didn't really accomplish anything. If I had a top 20 pick, I would hope to get a better player. Yeesh. Wow. Not Jesus. very glowing reviews of Brad Lambert. And I'm thinking... You know, he might even fall outside the top 20. Yeah, that guy was like, the, he, you know, we're talking about teens. This guy was like, I wouldn't take him in my top 20. Uh, damn. Sounds like, uh, you know, he's maybe coasting off that, that you know, past caliber uh, and that mm-hmm. raw talent. And like, you know, maybe he hasn't developed that, you know, next step in terms of, you know, product. Like, obviously, his production sagged this year, um, but just being able to create plays in the offensive zone. 
you know, I've heard rumblings about like attitude shit, you know, like he's not, you know, the A1 character guy that teams like, and maybe that's related uh, to his fall. But yeah, those are, that's very strong, a strongly worded reviews uh, for yeah. a guy in free fall, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that really stuck out to me as something I wanted to mention in advance of, you know, really hard hitting draft season um, because I knew he was sliding a bit, but Ruin, you know, it probably everyone said like, yeah, I'm not sure about Brad Lambert because if there were even like, you know, one positive review that was like, I love him. He's a top 10 guy. That probably would have been in there to try to balance things out. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe they're all playing a game of chicken, you know? Like, I don't want to be the guy who says I love Brad Lambert because I do love Brad Lambert and I'm trying to get him in the top in like in pick number 11 or some shit like that. Nah, probably not. I feel As like I feel the like they're brain. generally pretty honest in these, you know, anonymous source things. Yeah, fair enough. So, yeah, it looks like uh, his stock is falling quite drastically, this dude. And we're getting some insight into why. Uh, looks like it sounds really sounds like his game is kind of stagnated uh, aside from just kind of the the skills package that he had originally. Do you want to do a mock draft next week? Sure. Why not? Yeah, we should. Because next week's our first, our last episode before the draft. So it's then or never. Let's do it. I pick then. How's that? You you pick what? I pick then instead of never. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I thought you were like, like then was a player. You're like, first overall, I pick then or something. <laughs> That is not what I meant. Anyways, uh, <laughs> we have that. We have that to look forward to. Uh, and yep. yeah, cool. That's a little sneak peek into next week. Okay, so I think that wraps it up for our draft coverage today. Get some insight into approximately seven or eight players. Uh, and yeah, I think you have a a trivia ready for me. And before we started taping, you said it was avant-garde. So I have no idea what I'm expecting here. We're not following the the standard seven out of ten format, apparently, is what I'm told. Yeah. Well, I don't even honestly really know what I'm expecting here, and I'm the one who made the quiz. So we were talking about uh, how perhaps the trivia style of "I'll ask you ten questions, and if you get seven right, you win" is starting to get a little bit stale. So maybe we needed some kind of new, something new, something a little fresh. So I I put my head together with itself. And I came up with something. <laughs> and I'm already laughing about it. Oh boy! Here's here's so the topic of the quiz is last night's game six between yeah. Colorado and Tampa Bay. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Oh, this is not the funny part. This is not the funny part. Right. So I'm going to basically I'm going to ask you a question, and there are multiple players who fit the criteria of the question. Multiple players who played in the game last night. Um, I am going to give you one of the players. The player with the fewest number of letters in his last name. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. Right. Sure. And you can either uh, accept, just be like, yeah, all right, I'll take that answer. And you take all the letters. Or you can think of one of the players who also fits that criteria with more letters in his last name <laughs> to try and get more points. Okay? Okay. All right. So, So, for example, if I say, like, say this was about some game between... I don't know, Montreal and Ottawa. And I was like, what player uh, got an assist? And the players who got an assist were like, uh, I don't know, Paul Byron and Eric Brandstrom. And, but you don't know that. And I tell you, one of the eight players is Paul Byron. 
for five. Uh, do you want to take that one or go for more? And if you can't think of one, you say, I'll take the five for Byron. And if you can, if you remember, oh, it was Brandstrom, and you guessed Brandstrom, then you get the 10 instead of the five because he's got 10 letters in his last name. But if you go for a guess and you're wrong, you get zero points. Okay. All right. Get, Great. Get it? That, I understand it. Very loud and clear. All right. Very nice. Um, so I set the threshold at 60 letters. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's going to be too low or too high. No idea. No idea. We can adjust as we go along. How many questions? But are you ready to begin? How many questions? Oh, it's t- it's there? 10, 10 questions. We're sticking with the 10, obviously. So I need to average six? Is that right? Yeah, you need to average six letters per question, yes. Okay. I calculate it so that if you go with the player I give you every single time, you're not yes. going to win. I'm not going to win, okay. Um, yeah, so you do need to, you know, take some jabs if you want to meet the threshold. Okay. Bro, like... Six of these, six of these first answers are gonna be fucking Nick Paul. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, no, don't worry. Okay, okay. Darren Helm. First one. Right, yeah, go ahead. First one. Yeah. Uh, name a player who scored a goal. Uh, I'll give you Stamkos for seven if you would like to take it. No, I'll take Nathan McKinnon. Perfect. Maximum nine out of a possible nine points with that one. Extremely well done. Nice. All right. Feels like Next. a gimme. All right. Next, uh, name a player who got an assist. I'll give you Bowen Byram for five. I don't get the I don't get to know the max, right? Uh, no, because then you okay. just think of what player has that many letters. Okay. All right, I say Nathan McKinnon again. Another nine on nine performance. Ooh. Excellently done. Ooh, you have to see it. Already banked myself a okay. rock. Okay, go. <laughs> Landis Gog also would have given you the maximum on that one. Just an Ooh. FYI. Thank you. Anyway. No. Name a player who got a penalty. I'll give you Kale McCarr for five. Uh, hmm. Penalty. I guess, is there anyone longer than Ryan McDonough for that should have been a major uh, boarding? I'm going to say Ryan McDonough. Correct. Eight on eight. Those were the only two players who got a penalty. I'm on fire. You are absolutely on fire. Good All right. shit. Here's where things might start to get a little trickier. Oh, goddamn. Name <laughs> name a skater on Tampa Bay with no shots on goal. I'll give oh. you Ellie Nash for four. <laughs> oh, man. No shots on goal. Okay, I'm thinking like defenseman. You know? I feel like that's pretty safe. Riley. Mm, okay. Uh, who's the, you know, like, like I, you know, is, is the best I can do really like Chernak or maybe McDonough again? You're going to make me double up like that? Uh, uh, I feel like, you know, McDonough's like on the power play sometimes, second unit. Okay. Uh, who, who else is on that fucking defense, man? Like Yan Ruda. But like, that's like five fucking letters. What's the point? Um, okay. All right. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll try uh, Eric Chernak for six. Wrong. Zero oh, out of nine. Shit. Chernak had at least a shot. Only two players in the Lightning didn't have a shot. Oh, Nash and come on. Mikhail, and Mikhail Sergachev. Oh. Nine letters on okay. the table there. That you, I wouldn't. I would have guessed him, though. Right. I feel like he's, he's like a, you know, he's a shooter. This guy shoots from the point. Damn. All right. Maybe Go if ahead. he shot more last night, Tampa would have won. Anyway. <laughs> 
true. Name a Amen. skater on Name a skater on Colorado with no shots on goal. I'll give you Nico Sturm for five. Man. I am so tempted to take it. You know, like like, you know, how many like they had a whole bunch of shots. And like there were only two fucking lightning players. Sure. I'll play it safe. I'm gonna hope there's more options later. I'm gonna I'm gonna take Sturm. I think that was probably the right call because the max you could have had there was seven with JT Comfer. And the only options were uh, JT Comfer and Eric Johnson. So oh, okay. well done. Thank you. All right. All right. Name a player who led his team in shots on goal. I'll give you Victor Hedman for six. Ooh. Led his team in shots on goal. What am I at? What's my score? Uh, right now, you are at, doing some quick math in my head, uh, 31 points after five questions. So you are on Whoa. pace. I'm on pace. So do I take Hedman, is that what you said, for six? Or do I get... Ooh. Oh, okay, so it's more than six. So I was thinking, like, you know, maybe it's Makar. It's not Makar. Like, who was shooting? Who was shooting? Ooh, Nishuskin was shooting. Hmm... I don't know. You know what? I'll play it safe. I feel like picking like a lightning player out of a hat like this, it's even worse than having no shots on goal. So I'm going to say take the headman six. All right. The player who led Colorado in shots on goal is Nathan McKinnon. Oh, I should have given you nine. Phew. Okay. But I noticed that like the Avalanche have a lot of good players with lots of letters in their names. So it's not easy. Yeah. All right. I'm happy I took that one. Go ahead. Name a Colorado player with four hits. I'll give you Darren Helm oh, for four. Oh, come on. Four hits. What the <laughs> hell is that supposed to mean? Exactly four hits? Exactly four hits. Fuck that. <laughs> what is this? That's I, so bad. I, yeah, now that I think of it, now that I think of it, it is, but I was really scraping the barrel here oh, for stats that that's, the NHL page would give me. That's the squad. You know what? I Who is the one that I lost everything on? I don't remember. Uh, I, it was uh, you didn't think of Sergachev for no shots on goal. Shit, man! I should have just taken the points there, because that that six I could have used it uh, when I ex- when I keep on accepting these garbage ones. Like, who'd you say? Who who was the four hit guy? Darren Helm for four. Fuck, man! Remember I said Darren Helm at the beginning. I knew you were gonna use his ass. Um, yeah, you really went. All right, let's look at Darren Helm stats. Oh, you got four hits. All right, let's do that shit. <laughs> I see you. I see you. All right. Um, okay. Sure. I'm. I'm. I'm not. I'm not. Unless there are like uh, maybe there are like many players who got. It's just too many, man. I can't pick this out of that. I'll get Darren Helm. Give me Darren Helm. All right. The only other option was Logan. O'Connor. The only other option. What the hell are you talking about? The only other option. Oh God. Okay, so you got the four. Okay. All right. All right. So let me let me just count these. I think you're at forty-one. What an abomination. A nine plus nine. Plus eight, plus five, plus six, plus four. Yeah, you're at forty-one. Okay, and we got three questions left. Ah, oh, it's a disaster. You can do this. It's a disaster. You can. Okay. Do this. I'm, I'm right. confident. Please. All right. Next question. Name a forward on Tampa Bay. So we've already narrowed it down quite a bit. Okay. Name a forward on Tampa Bay with zero power play time. I'll give you Riley Nash for four. Ooh. Oh man. Who's on like 
Oh, I was just looking at their depth chart because I was laughing at it. Um, Riley Nash for four. Okay, so who's it not? It's not that first line, obviously. It's not Palad, Kucherov, Stamkos. Uh, you know, maybe Perry's a, a mainstay on that. You know, Ross Colton gets a bit. Said Nash for four. Who else is on that team? Uh, man. Okay, well, I really am. I'm like, oh, well, there's Hagel. That's only five. I'm missing like one or two. Oh, there's Pat Maroon. That's six. And who is, I think I've named all of them except maybe one or two. Nick Paul, but that makes no sense. Oh. Okay. Well, if it, if, cause there's Belmar. I feel like he doesn't get any power play time. I want to go with Pierre-Edouard Belmar. What a hit. Well done. Thank nine you. for nine oh. points on that ah, one. That was good. I knew there was and something was, buried in there, you know? And that was the only guy. Belmar was the only guy. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Are you kidding me? <laughs> nope. Even, well even, oh, God. Even, like, Nick Paul had power play time? Damn. Yeah. Wait, let me, yeah. uh, yeah, power play time on ice. Patrick Ooh. Moon had 54 seconds. Nick Paul had 51. Brandon Hagel, four seconds. Anthony Cirelli, six seconds. Oh, Riley Nash and Belmar are the only ones listed for zero power play time. Only forwards listed zero power play okay. time. You want to hear my logic? So my... Fi... <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. So you're at 50 now. Okay. All right. My logic there was that it's obviously not one of the big guns. And like a lot of their bottom six or bottom nine, lots of like small names. And I'm like, yeah, you know, Good I don't, I don't think he would give me a small name as the only, you know, as, as one of the only other answers. So. You know, swung for the fences. All right, go ahead. Mm -hmm. 50. I only need five each. Okay, go. Name a skater on Tampa Bay with over a minute of penalty kill time. I'll give you Nick Paul for four. Oh, God. (laughs) Over a minute. Skater. So I think I feel like, you know, we should go with... Oh, but there was only one penalty. Oh, that's such a pain in the ass, isn't it? God, that's so mean. <laughs> that's so mean. Oh, over oh, a minute. Oh, come on. Come on. What'd you say, Nick Paul? Nick Paul for four. What I? Okay, so there's two options here. I can like lose the game right now by fucking guessing someone, right? Or I, and then if I blow it, then I have to get 10. And I don't even know if there's anybody on this team that has 10 letters in the last name. Uh, so, or I can hold off and hope, you know, that I can get six next round. I'm going to take Nick Paul. It's just, there's just too many damn people. Yeah. All right. I think that, that was a wise choice. Okay. Um, Because you basically just clinched the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh-huh. All right. So by the way, the other options on Tampa were Sergachev, Sorelli, and Chernak. So there were a few options there. Okay. Um anyway, last question is name a forward who led his team in time on ice. I'll give you Kucherov for eight. Oh you should have told me at the beginning that you're gonna give me eight free points at one point. Um all right. I'll take I'll take the eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, Don't mind you me. Got 62. 
I was I was hoping at that point you were going to need the extra points, and so you would have guessed uh, McKinnon, which has nine letters, even though the answer is Nachushkin with ten. Oh, okay. And so wait, you said it was ice time. Was that was that all? Yeah, Nachushkin. Uh, Nachushkin led. Oh, I should have specified led forwards on his team in time on ice. <laughs> sorry, that could. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> my god uh-huh yeah, go ahead i missed that specification i'm very glad they didn't come back to haunt me <laughs> no kidding no kidding yeah that didn't even strike i was so wrapped up in my victory that didn't even strike me that you know temper tantrum kucherov was uh <laughs> didn't make sense that he fucking outplayed all the defensemen i assume yeah i assume it was headman right uh yeah probably i didn't even look i was just looking at the forwards <laughs> um <laughs> Anyway. All right, we did it. So, we did it. Yeah. So, what do you think? What do you think of that one? That one was, was great. Crazy, but yeah, yeah. It was it was new. It was new, and I liked it. I enjoyed it. That was great. I like the uh, the avant-garde scoring system for sure. Like the, uh, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like it's the most unconventional I've ever seen. It's number of letters. So, yeah, that was fantastic. I a one, a plus. I approve. Sample I'm glad approval. about that. Even though we both enjoyed it, I might never do it again. That's fine. I don't know if it's a repeatable <laughs> concept. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. I feel like it might be a one or maybe two time thing kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I dig, you know, every six weeks trying to think of nine letter last names. I don't know <laughs> if that's my, <laughs> but it was, yeah. it, it was great. It was a great time for the one time. All right. I'm glad hit. it was a success because I really wasn't so sure about it. But anyway. Uh, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You might be able to tell, but I think we're going to try these uh, weekday nights from now on instead of Sunday nights, probably Mondays slash Tuesdays, whatever works out best for us on particular weeks. Um, yeah, next week is Mock Draft. Potentially an episode focused like entirely on the draft or any trades that may happen between now and then. Uh, coach hirings but you can probably expect a ton of draft focus because it will be draft week so that'll be the main thing uh yeah instagram fusion and hockey podcast twitter at taisefu at alex's new handle bye the end